Welcome to the Q Podcast Show, where we discuss ideas, innovations, and thought leadership in frontier areas such as AI, machine learning, and finance. With various innovations in neural networks, scans are becoming popular as a means of generating synthetic data. In today's session, we are joined by Gautier Marti in a masterclass on GANs with applications in synthetic data generation. In this masterclass, Gautier will discuss generative adversarial networks and discuss applications in synthetic data generation and other quantitative finance applications. He will also discuss his work on Corgans sampling realistic financial correlation matrices using generative adversarial networks. Welcome, everyone. This is the Quant University Autumn School kickoff. Thank you so much for joining in today. It's October the 27th. It's a nice fall day here in the New England area. I'm based out of Boston, uh, which I was just talking to Gaudier. So he's uh, enjoying some really good weather in Hong Kong. And uh, we are also seeing some nice fall colors here in Boston. And uh, uh, today we are kicking off the autumn school. So for people who are joining us again from the summer school, welcome back. For people who are new and joining us for the first time. Uh, so we are Quant University, we are a Boston-based company, and we focus on the intersection of data science, machine learning, and quantitative finance. And uh, we have been doing a lot of uh, boot camps and educational workshops, and also a lot of uh, thought leadership work with a lot of companies. In various areas. And one of the uh, favorite topics for me is machine learning. And I'm always intrigued and very enthusiastic to learn about new developments and also how these have been applied in quantitative finance. And I found about uh, I found out about uh, uh, Dr. Gautier, uh, Gautier Marty's amazing work on synthetic data generation and application of GANs. And I had a chance to chat with him uh, during the summer time frame, and I wanted to see if we could have him present. And he was, uh, you know, having a very busy schedule at that point. But uh, fortunately, uh, he has made time to come down to uh, the Boston virtually, and uh, he's presenting his work on uh, applications of synthetic data generation uh, using GANs. Uh, so before we go ahead, I'm going to make a quick uh, a couple of remarks to just uh, introduce you formally to our platform and also to a little bit of uh, where to find the slides. So all the slides and the videos associated with today's presentation will be available on Q.academy. So if you just go to qu.academy and then um, uh, you will have to register. And then once you register, you just use your login credentials. And uh, if you see there are multiple educational materials available, and if you go to the Q lecture series, you will be able to get all the summer school related lectures, which we have recorded. We had 10 amazing lectures and also the fall school uh, related uh, material. So uh, please feel free to uh, you know, log in and uh, find out about uh, the various uh, talks. Uh, give me one second. Um, and uh, I will just present a couple of slides before handing over the stage to Cartier. Um, so uh, as I mentioned, uh, we are based out of Boston and uh, we have been doing a lot of educational work in the various areas of uh, data science, machine learning and finance. And uh, the fall school, uh, we are gonna be having eight lectures. It's gonna be on a weekly cadence, either Tuesday or Wednesday, around the noon time frame. we'll have uh, either a one to one and a half hour lecture, and all these lectures are complimentary. 
and you'll be able to find out all the upcoming lectures at qfallschool.splashtech.com. Next week, we have uh, Sarah Biller and uh, Dushyan Sharawat. Uh, Sarah is the founder of uh, Fintech Sandbox, and Dushyan is uh, at uh, Rosenblatt Securities. They've been doing some amazing work on fintech. So we're going to be talking about uh, what fintech looks like post-COVID. It's going to be a fascinating discussion, so please don't miss out on that. And then also we are uh, launching the fintech bootcamp this time around, so please take a look at it if uh, that's of interest. And uh, today we are going to spend the next uh, hour and a half or so we're, you know, talking about GANs and synthetic data generation. It's a masterclass format. Uh, Gautier has put in a lot of time uh, and he has put in more than 50, 60 slides of material. So I'm also going to be taking my notepad and pen and making notes along the way. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll all learn a lot of new things in here. So the way we have structured this masterclass, uh, Gaudi will go through an introduction to GANs or generative adversarial networks. So uh, for people who are new to uh, neural networks, uh, there's been some fascinating uh, innovations which have happened in the last four to five years with deep learning and various uh, kinds of architectures which have evolved. And GANs have been very promising for synthetic data generation. And I've been tracking a lot of different efforts. Uh, there is the SD gym and associated projects happening here at MIT. And then in the summer school, we had uh, Dr. Uh, Julia Fanti from Carnegie Mellon University who presented on doppelgangers. Uh, again, uh, uh, an architecture using GANs. And there are also been multiple um, research efforts on using GANs for synthetic data generation. So it's a fascinating field and uh, Gautier will be presenting his work on four GANs. Uh, and there's also an archive paper, which is very fascinating. I highly recommend you to read this paper. Uh, for people who don't know Gautier, so Gautier got his PhD from uh, Ecole Polytechnic. Um, yeah, he's uh, a renowned French quant and I would love to hear some time on how he made his journey to Hong Kong of all places. Uh, leaving uh, the fun and beautiful city of Paris. Um, so uh, he has also worked at various uh, uh, data savvy buy-side firms like Hellbore Capital, AXA, and uh, Juris, and Shell Street. And uh, he also runs an amazing machine learning meetup group in Hong Kong. And I'm always fascinated on how he uh, makes time to you know, uh, get all these ideas and all the people together and run this meetup group. But, other uh, thing I would highlight is his blog, which is very meticulously put together. And I love when he you know, goes to ICMAL and other conferences and takes all the learnings and documents it and makes it available in a consumable form to various ones. So thank you for all your work for both what you're doing, Gautier, and also to the community. Um, and uh, I will hand over the stage to Gautier. So Gautier, I will make you the presenter and you can share your screen. All right. So thank you. Thank you, Sri, for the, the very kind uh, introduction. Um, let me try to share my screen now. OK. Can you can you see my screen? Yes. Properly? OK. So thanks, everyone, for, for attending this, uh, this first session of the, the Autumn School. Uh, in the next hour or so, I will try to try talk to you about um, deep generative models, GANs, and others. But uh, I will try to to make it quite pedagogical. So we will start from the basic and uh, build up uh, toward application to finance, 
So even if you don't know about neural networks, I, I hope that uh, you will be able to get something from this presentation. And uh, yes, uh, that's that's pretty much it. If uh, if you know all that stuff already, I, I hope at least it will be entertaining. So how the presentation is structured? First, we'll uh, talk about uh, these uh, these models, introduce them, uh, talk about the, the milestone in their development over the couple like, previous couple of years, the major achievements, and then uh, we will try to look together for the people that do not know how it works to look behind the black box to try to understand how they are they are working it's quite a, an amazing technology and then i would say maybe the meat of the presentation we'll uh, look at uh, a couple of ideas uh, the execution is at different stage of uh, maturity but a couple of ideas uh, how to um, to apply this model for in this talk, uh, quant applications, but they can be useful also for data vendors and other play players in finance. And then we will a bit uh, say where the state of the art is and the limitation that have to be, be overcome so that they uh, they become mature technology ready for everyone. So let's start with uh, maybe a definition. Um, so generative models, uh, these models that can uh, generate data it's a very broad class of model. Even using neural networks, there are different kinds. There are shallow models like uh, restricted Boltzmann machine, autoencoders, and deeper ones like the generative adversarial networks and adversarial um, autoencoders. For the, the sake of clarity, we'll just focus with one model, which maybe is also the, the most promising and that is uh, the best success so far in the computer vision literature. So we'll talk about uh, GANs, so Generative Adversarial Network. What are they? So let me read the definition. A Generative Adversarial Network, GAN, is a class of machine learning frameworks where two neural networks, usually known as the generator and the other one, the discriminator, contest with each other in a zero-sum game. That is, one agent's gain is another agent's loss. All right. So. At this point, if it's uh, still fuzzy for you, it's totally normal. It's not very informative and maybe lots of words are not properly defined. Uh, but what is maybe more uh, easy to understand is their purpose, generating realistic synthetic data. So given a training set, this technique learns to generate new data with the same statistics as the training set. Okay, so imagine you have a black box, you push a button, magic button on this black box, and it outputs a sample. Uh, that's supposed to be realistic. So now I'm gonna take like a, a three minute break. I will show you this video that I realized in the context of the machine learning meetups I, I run. And basically consider that as an executive summary. So it's a very high level, doesn't go into the details uh, for lots of ideas without much argumentation. If you are busy, that, then you get uh, the, the main flow of the presentation and other ideas. And uh, it will also help by repetition to understand what comes next. So let's look this uh, two minutes 50 videos. I hope that the sound is good, otherwise it's available on YouTube. And maybe Sri has pointed uh, it in the in the in the page on his website. Did 
data is a core but highly sensitive and proprietary asset than finance. Here are six examples. Thanks for confidential data on the customers. Uh, sorry, I think uh, the lights are not moving. Uh, the video is not moving. So, sorry, Sri. Uh, the video is not coming. Uh, we can only it's hear. It's not coming. Yeah. Okay. Let me. Uh, maybe I need to change the the screen sharing. Uh, you have a dual monitor. Okay. Let me. Probably it's not sharing the correct screen. Um, new share. Okay. I think it should work now. Um, okay. Is it working now? Uh, and now? Oh uh, yeah, it is working now. Thank you. Okay, so sorry for that. Uh, thanks for for helping me on that. So let's let's maybe restart at this point. Data is a core but highly sensitive and proprietary asset than finance. Here are six examples. Banks have confidential data on their customers, but also on public and private companies. Their trading desks generate valuable data on market activity. Data vendors and hedge funds chase expensive alternative data, while auditors and regulators work with material non-public information. How can the different players in finance share and sell data to each other? without breaching any Chinese wall, regulations, or privacy laws, or without harming their competitive edge. Moreover, original data has a lot of shortcomings in practice. Lack of historical data, missing fields, imbalanced classes, overfitted strategies on a given data set. Fortunately, novel advances in deep learning can provide a solution. Classical machine learning can be subdivided into unsupervised, supervised, and reinforcement learning. More recent categories include representation and adversarial learning. Let's consider the example of a money competitor to understand adversarial learning. The competitor's goal is to pull the public and the police, while the police's goal is to find fake bills and arrest them. Doing so, the competitor learns to make more realistic bills, and the police gets more accurate at detecting fake ones. Gans have produced amazing results. Can you guess which one of these three persons is not real? Actually, none of them are. They were all generated by a GAN. Researchers have shown that it is possible to generate realistic synthetic data for detecting fraudulent transfers and anomalies in accounting statements, sharing anonymized credit card transactions, and testing the robustness of strategies. GAN technology can enable efficiency gains, increased sales, a broader adoption of machine learning in the cloud, and the creation of a market for trained models. 
For more information on this amazing new technology, please contact us. All right. That that's it for the let's say the high level executive summary. So now let's go back. If I manage to do it to the the, the slides, uh, is that okay for everyone now? Yes, we can see your slides. Okay, perfect. Uh, okay, so um, let's get into it. So basically, we will uh, go this time a bit deeper than this high-level view of uh, what uh, what GANs can do. So to understand what they are able, we'll review their success so far, mostly image generation. And you have to understand that uh, this will be a bit a higher bound of what can be achieved in finance for many reasons is that this field is quite active in uh, academia and industry. This field is quite open for, for these researchers. So they build on each other work. It progresses quite fast. and. Uh, and also the, sig the, the signal, the, the ratio of the signal to noise is uh, much more favorable in this uh, computer vision domain. So that's why they, uh, I mean, all the, the improvement comes from this, this field. In finance, you know, uh, it's not necessarily about, uh, it's everyone is a bit reinventing the, the wheel in his corner. It's not about doing the perfect wheel, but more like a, a wheel that is less square than the, the neighbor. So that's why that's, probably most uh, most breakthrough comes from this uh, this computer vision area but uh, we'll get inspiration from them and then we'll go through the, the the working and a few business case for quants they are also as you see in the video as you saw um, more business and use case in finance but we'll focus on those that are, con are concerned to quants so GANs when did it all started so in uh, late 2014, uh, there was this paper at this uh, conference, uh, New Rips, which is uh, one of the top two with ICML. And this paper proposed a method. Uh, so for now, let's consider a black box, which has a magic button. You push a button, it creates a sample that is realistic. So if you look, for example, at the digits in the square box, you have like original digits from a training set, a typical machine learning uh, test, uh, test bed, benchmark training set. And if you do it well, if you manage to train your uh, model uh, sufficiently well, each time you push the button, you have a random digit that appear. But what's nice is that it looks like a real digit. So you can generate this uh, fake digit image, which looks like real. You can do also on, on faces, and uh, you can do that on picture of horses, holes, etc. You can see that results are not that amazing, but once again, it was the first paper. It was more proof of concept, showing that it's an amazing idea that uh, that may work, but needs more work. And since then, as you can see by the number of citations, like more than 22,000 as of last month, uh, many researchers and build on these ideas and work and improve it. And we'll see that in the next couple of slides. Uh, so on this one, first, we can see that, of course, the, the quality of the image generated uh, two years after have uh, improved a lot. But there is also a new idea that has appeared is that we can condition this model. So what does it mean so far? Uh, we have this black box. We have this magic button. We push it, uh, produce a random image, let's say, a random sample. 
But now we can also add a wire to this black box. And in this wire, we can pass in uh, some signal, some information. So in this context, what it is, it's this text. So for example, we can say this bird is white with some black on its head and wings and has a long orange peak. So now given this text, uh, pushing the button on the black box will produce birds that fits this description. So of course there are still an infinity of possible birds that fit this description, but it will be conditioned on, on this, on this uh, text. And that's it. Uh, so you see in two years, there were uh, improvements in the quality and also improvements on the use. Uh, we can add some side information. Uh, one year later, the deep fakes. Uh, so this is quite uh, topical at the time uh, uh, because there was a recent scandal with uh, news from a Russian bot and also because people became aware uh, of this technology uh, with the Obama video. So I put the link there, you, you can watch it. So we are not here to do politics, but it's quite uh, funny and topical. So uh, basically the message is using this model, anyone uh, can uh, impersonate uh, pretty much any, any anyone. So an actor can uh, take the... the, the um, a comedian can uh, can uh, can impersonate uh, Barack Obama and uh, make him say the things he would never say. Or, for example, uh, less political, you can have Jack Nicholson in The Shining. You condition of uh, uh, him being Jim Carrey, and you have uh, this uh, this translation from uh, this Jack Nicholson in The Shining to to uh, Jim Carrey in The Shining. And what is very nice is that. For example, uh, hungry Jack Nicholson have, have not the same uh, facial expression and acting as uh, Jim Carrey, but this is translating nice. So it's it's uh, progress is very amazing, but you can start to feel also that uh, there can be also ethical concern and uh, another problem that may arise with it. Another pro progress here, I would say it's not not so much for the technological aspect, but more for the marketing branding and the question it raises about what is art uh, what's uh, what does the, the art market pay for as a premium you have like a couple of french students uh, not uh, even ai expert that that use a tool produced by another another people so mathematician artist generated this figure and managed to sell it uh, at an auction at christie's for more than 400k so this raises uh, this raises quite uh, quite many like philosophical questions. Uh, what is art? Who is the real author of uh, of this painting? Why pricing uh, so much? Because it could be like generated uh, ad infinity. So interesting questions that are uh, raised by this uh, this AI technology. And. One year later, another progress, another benchmark. Uh, NVIDIA, you know, the chip maker, they have also this uh, research in, uh, in AI and uh, image generation, and they managed to, uh, to produce models that, that produce very, very realistic uh, picture of faces, so realistic that it fools human. And actually, for example, in uh, December 19, uh, Facebook uh, said that they, they took down a network of accounts with full identities 
And uh, actually, many of the profile pictures of these fake accounts were generated by AI. So once again, you have to understand it's nothing that couldn't be done before. We could before also fake videos, we could fake image, could fake account, but this was like quite tedious. You had uh, to hire experts to do what, or it was time consuming. So if you were to scam people, you had to choose well the target, etc. Uh, this thing, it just lowers the, 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 the price point of doing massive scamming. So for frauds, if you are equipped with this technology, which is quite accessible, you can target millions of people for very cheap. And you know, there will be a few fish uh, statistically that will fall in the trap. So uh, yeah, it can be quite, uh, quite spooky. But yes, so far we, we talk only about images. What about the other domains? Because this technology could help in other domains. So, after images, usually from this uh, machine learning community, uh, next signal that is also quite uh, nice to work with, and you have, can have plenty of data, is sound. So what they have done is uh, using sound to, uh, to, to do some tasks. And in this case, uh, you have your black box. Uh, the goal is still to generate faces, for example, but you will put into the wire with the side information the the um, recorded sound of uh, one person speaking. So what is amazing, uh, of course you can tell, but now a machine can do it and at scale is that given how you speak, you can have a good approximation of the gender, the, the approximate age and also the ethnicity. So this also it can raise like uh, ethical concern uh, because in some countries, uh, so it's not true in any countries, but some countries you, you are not supposed for official documents, insurance, administrative process to, to know or ask about the ethnicity of a person. You are from this uh, nationality and that's it. Uh, so for example, here you could de-anonymize party a person uh, using this technology. And um, that's, um, that's something to be aware of. And then the last, uh, last thing that I would like to mention in this kind of uh, story of the evolution of this model and what they have achieved over the past uh, six years or so is this uh, game game. So what is that? It's quite hard to explain, but essentially by observing uh, videos of a game being played, the game is able to generate a wall, uh, uh, is able to generate the game. So he's able to learn the physics. The Pac-Man cannot cross for wall. It can uh, memorize the background. So from a frame to a frame far distant in the future, the, the walls, the, the background shouldn't change. Also the logic of the game, if the Pac-Man eats candies, they can't respawn uh, randomly, etc. and all the, the interaction. So this is very early, um, at the early stage, but it has amazing applications, for example, instead of uh, coding a program uh, to a specialized architecture and then uh, recording it in many languages for many platforms, you could do it once, uh, make again, learn it, and that's your emulation, emulator, you don't need to do this, uh, this programming. So this, I would say, is the most amazing um, achievement of this model, and uh, I would say the, the state of the art. So this was uh, published by uh, NVIDIA again in May 2020, so very recent. So, okay, and that was for the, the nice story and uh, what has been done with these models. Now, how do they work? 
Um, so, so far, uh, I, I've told it's a black box. So you push a button, you put some inside information, but let's, let's go a bit deeper into how it works. So essentially, for this model, you need a data set. So in the past, uh, example, it was essentially like, uh, it was like images, but let's say that uh, for application financial, for financial application, it can be correlation matrices or time series. Um, you have the two networks, the two neural networks, so the neural network G that will uh, create, it's the black box that will create the samples and the discriminator, which if you remind in, remember the, the, the small video at the introduction is the, the police officer that tries to detect if it's full or not. And the, the magic black uh, button of the, the black box is actually a random number generator, which is pretty standard and um, available in uh, any decent programming languages. So that's for all the components. Now, uh, these uh, this components, these neural networks, you have to train them. So at the start, they are randomly initialized, and then you have an algorithm to progressively update it and make them work as you in intend to. So the algorithm is relatively simple. Uh, it's essentially a for loop. So you loop, you iterate, you start from uh, nothing, and then at each loop, you improve a bit. And this loop has two main components. So the first component here in red that we explained is uh, the training, the fitting of the discriminator network. And after, the second part will be the uh, fitting of the generator network. We'll go through a full uh, first execution of the main loop. And we'll stop there, but if you understand at this point, then it's pretty uh, straightforward. You just uh, repeat uh, lots of time and you have your model trained. So let's, let's do it step by step together. You have your training data set. Okay, images, let's say two by two images for pixels. You have this magic button, random generator. Uh, basically here, it can be minus two and three. Then these two numbers randomly generated, minus two and three, let's say, you put it through a neural network G, which is the generator. So for people that are not familiar with neural network, actually it's uh, quite simple, they are their way of functioning. These two numbers, minus two and three, you will pass this information to the next layer. So what does it mean to pass information to the next layer? Well, you do that by uh, simple arithmetic uh, operation, let's say. This node at this uh, position, it will take a new value, which is a coefficient or weight, as they call it, um, one times the value one, so time, min time minus two, plus another weight times the other value, three. Here again, and one weight uh, times minus two plus another weight times three, you get a value. And this value, you will pass it to a nonlinear monotonic um, operation that function that will give another value. And up, you have uh, new values on this layer. You do that once again. And at the last layer, you obtain four values. Okay. Then these four values, you just rearrange them. And tada, you have a two by two, uh, synthetic image. So here at this point, there is no reason that it looks uh, like anything real. 
realistic or, or whatever, it's uh, quite random uh, because we start from random noise, the weights are random, we obtain it with something random. So we've done that once, we do it another time, random numbers, pass the information through the network, we have a new image. Okay, we do it many times and we have generated a data set of fake images, fake samples. Then, first step of the algorithm, we have this neural network which will be trained to, to distinguish, to classify if the, its input comes from the original data set, real examples, or from the synthetic uh, data set, fake examples. So here again, we take uh, one, one sample, Okay, we vectorize it, we pass it to the neural network, we pass the information down the, the layer, we obtain numbers, we pass it to the next layer, we obtain uh, a final number between zero, zero and one. Uh, zero, it means fake, okay, it says fake, which happens to be correct. Okay, here uh, it can be totally by chance. We use the fact that it's correct to a bit tweak the weights by, uh, by some uh, bad propagation algorithm. But essentially, you have to understand that the, this feedback information is taken into account so that the weights uh, are updated, so the, the network uh, change a bit. And then we pass another information, this time a real uh, synthetic example. It passed through the network and it says fake, which this time is incorrect. We use that, no, 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 it's wrong, update yourself. The network change a bit. We pass a new, we take a new example, once again from the original data set, it goes through the network, it says real, correct. Okay, at this stage, we think that uh, the network is um, quite accurate at detecting between these two data sets. So we stop it there for the first part. Second part of the, 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 the main loop, Let's train the generator. So how do we do that? Uh, we random, we sample random numbers, random vectors, we pass them through the generator, and we have a data set of only fake data, synthetic samples. Okay, now that we have that, we will pass them to the discriminator, which is supposed to be trained and should be able to distinguish. And here you see that uh, it will not be perfect. So the first one, it was fooled. The generator make him believe it was real and actually it's fake. Uh, and the rest is fake. But for example, this one, it, it says fake, but not very confident. So it could be better. So it takes back this information into account. Weights, this network is frozen and touched, but we use the error here to back propagate the information and tweak the weights of the generator. So the generator change a bit so that Next time he's asked, he would be better at fooling the discriminator. So that's essentially it. We have finished the first loop. Now, for example, if we ask uh, samples from the generator, it will be a bit better. So for example, yet still not perfect, like uh, this one doesn't look real, but it will be better at fooling the discriminator, etc. So we, we continue. So that's, that's it. If you understood uh, till this far, uh, you have the basic idea of how a GAN works and uh, you could, uh, using modern uh, framework like TensorFlow, PyTorch, uh, credit yourself and it works. Now, uh, just one, one thing to understand more on the technical side before going to the application is 
we talk about this uh, this wire that goes into the the box and that can bring like side information this uh, this uh, added signal so for example before we were able in the first paper to generate random digits but what if you want to to generate digits which are supposed to be in zero so we want to sample random digits that are zero so yeah you can see like lots of zeros lots of ones etc so the question is how we do it actually it's very simple not much change to do uh, so here you have still your data set so to make the transition to um, to the to the next part of the talk let's say it will be financial time series of snp or a correlation matrices of stocks of the snp and the label will be for example risk on or risk off okay and then what you do with this label you it's encoded as a as a vector you put it as an input to the generator and you put it also as an input to the discriminator so we learn to generate uh, matrices that are realistic but also associated to this label and that's pretty much it so you you doing that you will be able to generate a, to learn a conditional distribution and that was it for the tutorial on how this model works now let's go maybe to what the most uh, interesting part the applications so essentially what we have learned to do is uh, is to um, to generate synthetic data right and now we we will think of uh, ways to use it so to give you a bit of context uh, strategy of overfitting it's a it's a plague for points and it can happen in many scenarios but let's look at this simple one so september 2020 so last month a naive or unscrupulous strats uh, presents his manager a new strategy and he said that the strategy would have initiated a massive short in fed 2020 and would have bet big in a rally starting late march 2020 so this strat uh, says the strategy to his manager as able to pick up early signal of market sell-off and bounce back thanks to advanced machine learning and alternative data obviously uh, what else right um, so the manager excited well either because it made uh, lots of backtest money or because uh, there is a machine learning alternative data uh, wants to uh, deploy capital to it of course so what's the problem with that so uh, so this problem is quite rampant in this industry. So one problem is because maybe uh, these people are rewarded for showing a good backtest. So uh, that's not a good way to, uh, to incentivize researchers. Or because they, there is not enough like sensitivity analysis, uh, counterfactual thinking, etc. So we'll see uh, a, a bit more concrete examples and that we will uh, go through. So for example, a typical quant uh, can be given a, a data set that looks like that. So it's a tabular data set of, for example, the second on, second end current market in Hong Kong. So how do, did I get that? I scrap a website where there are cars that are put to the market and you know when they are sold. So you get lots of characteristics, uh, the brand, the mileage, the age, the color, etc., the price. And you can do analysis, try to see if it correlates with the economy, etc. So essentially, uh, there are two uh, sort of uh, grid of quants, type of quants. The econ quants, the one that will uh, wants that his ideas are backed by some economic theory or justification. And sometimes 
he loves uh, the justification so much that he will try to fit the data to make the val data validate his theory. So this, this guy, for example, he can say, uh, when the inventory builds up, so more people are selling the cars than buying, then uh, it's a bad sign for the economy and the HSI will plummet over the next quarter. So here you see it's a bit hard to test because there is not so much data. That's through the inventory buildup, but it, it's maybe a bit laggy. And then there is lots of auto operation, so hard to say. Another idea uh, from a math quant. So this guy has not much idea about the economy. He just has a, a black box machine learning algorithm that predicts that HSI is decreased whenever two Ferraris are sold right after a Bugatti Veyron comes to market based on the given data set. So here it's also a weird idea, but if it works, what, why not? But still we would like to gain a bit of confidence. So with the GANs, what we could do is use this uh, data set of cars and resample uh, similar data set, but not totally the same. So the idea is, and that's the first method to, uh, to test the strategy stability. For example, we have this, uh, this, uh, this rule about uh, the situation of cars that are sold. Uh, it's a strategy for betting. So what you can do is you take your original data set, okay? Uh, you make n copies of this data set. So they will have the same statistic characteristic, but a bit different. On each of these copies, you apply the strategy. And on each of these uh, copies, you will have a different PNN. Hopefully not too different, but. And what will differentiate between a good strategy and a bad strategy is the stability. So for example, if you have a decent turnover, so it makes lots of bets and uh, all the results are uh, relatively the same, let's say sharp or PNL, then you have confidence in the strategy and you say, okay, it's good. Um, if on the contrary, uh, you have like, you obtain something like the red dot, so relatively turn, low turnover with a PNL that varies a lot. So basically you do just a few trades and sometimes you get extremely lucky. Uh, you got a high PNL, sometimes you are unlucky and uh, you, have, you have poor trades. Uh, when there is more turnover, but you can have uh, high sharp like, like as as likely as high, uh, as low sharp or low PNL. Uh, this is uh, indicators that your strategy is poor and it was just overfitted to a few data points. So you find a good configuration that in the past happened to work. Uh, very likely, it won't work in the future. So in the, in summary, uh, you. Using GANs, you can copy your data set, apply the same strategy to all the data set, looks at how it performs, if it's stable, uh, it gets the same um, performance metrics, then you are more confident into it. So still no uh, proof guarantee, but it's, it's, uh, you are more confident to it. So that's for the first method. Another method, still based on the same idea, um, is you can take your, uh, your uh, original data set, your, you're a manager of a team of quants, okay? You have n quants, you take your data set, you copy it, you keep the original data for yourself, you make your n quants work on it independently and they will come up with strategies, right? Uh, they will do their best to find one and they will probably find one. So the, the idea here is then you look at what they found and uh, did they all find the same strategy or not? If they did or something similar, 
then given the data, you are quite confident that this strategy is quite salient, quite easy to, to find. So that's uh, good or not. It's good because you are quite confident it's not a fluke finding, it's quite salient. Uh, but then it's likely also to be crowded. Everyone will find it also. So it's really given the data. If you have like a very expensive data set or uh, you built in such a way that uh, no one will have access easily to it, then uh, that, that's the perfect world. Still, you want to test on the original data before running into production to see if they didn't learn a fluke or an artifact of the GAN. That can happen also. But at least, you, given the data, uh, you are quite confident that it's uh, that is a, a valid strategy. So that's also something you can do uh, using these models. Another method um, based on this idea. So. Once again, it's something that could have been done before and that was probably done uh, using old statistical uh, techniques like uh, bootstrap or block bootstrapping. So just to, remem to remind people that are not uh, familiar with uh, what is bootstrap, is like, let's say you have a time series of the S&P. Uh, what you will do, you will chunk into uh, pieces and you will rebuild a synthetic uh, time series with these pieces. So you have another alternative synthetic data that is okay realistic, but uh, if you were to do that and then fit your strategy, for example, fine tune your strategy on all these replicas, obtained with these old statistical uh, techniques, some paper from Koshiyama, Ferruzzi and Al find that you will uh, underperform uh, underperform in comparison to if you were to do that using synthetic realistic financial time series generated from the GAN. So here the, the idea is the same. You will do like many replicas and instead of fitting your best window for the momentum on one, you will find a, a, a window that works on the many copies, but just that using a more realistic um, copies uh, will help you to find a better parameter. So that's the main idea. That's something that was done with all uh, techniques. With these new techniques, it seems to, to be better. And another idea that you have, you have these N copies of the original data. So noisy copies produced by the GAN. And you can fit one model on each of these. And then you can use all the models for the prediction. So that's something that is called, uh, for example, in machine learning tagging, like the typical uh, uh, there's a typical uh, random forest algorithm uh, example, but here it's a bit the same. You will uh, uh, bag all the models together to have uh, more robust predictions. So that's it. Um, so that was uh, one big use case. One other use case, uh, which is more like for portfolio construction and management, uh, it's to um, generate uh, lots of time series that verifies the correlation structure. So that's more like uh, related to my research. So the idea is that you want to allocate uh, capital to your strategies. It can be uh, the typical risk premiums or uh, more uh, funky strategies. And you want to do that systematically. So how do you do that? Uh, you know, literature have many um, techniques like Markowitz, uh, mean variance plus plus, risk parity, archical risk parity. Each one, if you read the paper, they are the best in the world, but in the end, it's not so sure. And if you do the exp numerical experiment yourself, it depends on uh, if it's stable across periods, universe, etc. So nothing to be concluded. So how do we conclude something uh, 
and if anything is useful. So what we can do is realistic simulations. So what is that? So basically in, in, uh, in my work, what I wanted to do, and actually I got the motivation by uh, working in the network, uh, correlation network field is how to, to, uh, to, to gain confidence in the robustness of a method. So with these GANs, uh, you can see, for example, uh, the correlation matrix as a picture, but uh, not quite because unlike a picture, it, like, it has like strong, like, uh, a known uh, mathematical uh, definition, like the, the matrix must be PSD and things like that. Um, you will train the GAN to generate uh, realistic uh, correlation matrices. So how do we know if they are realistic? So for people working computer vision, it's very easy. They look at the face picture and say, oh yeah, of course it works. Uh, for correlation matrices, a bit harder. But still, this, uh, these objects have been uh, studied by Bouchot from CFM and others uh, for uh, more than 20 years. So we know lots of features of them, like, for example, the distribution of their eigenvalues for the margin copas to low with one big value, which is the, the market, uh, smaller eigenvalues, uh, which are the clusters, the industries, that it has a nice hierarchical clustering uh, structure, that coefficients are positive, the eigenvector, the, the entries of the first eigenvectors are positive, etc. So basically, I, I, uh, I did this model, and I think it's the first model in the literature, GANs or other model included, that is able to reproduce all these stylized facts. Uh, and yes, so that's it. So essentially, using this model, what we will do is uh, sample correlated time series. Okay, generate time series verifying the correlation structure. So here you can plug the correlation matrix in a multivariate quotient or multivariate student. Uh, you won't verify the, the time series stylized facts, but you have the cross-sectional stylized facts. Then what you can do is you take uh, all the, the risk-based portfolio uh, allocation method you want to, to horse race, uh, Markovitz or, or whatnot, mean variance. For example, here uh, we will test the example of a naive uh, inverse variance or naive risk parity versus the Marcos Lopez de Prado hierarchical risk parity. So you sample time series, let's say one year, 252 um, observation. You fit uh, to this time series, you compute the weights, and then out of samples or another sample, some data sample from the correlation, you will look at the performance out of sample. Okay. Then you will analyze this performance. So, for example, you can define a target variable, which is uh, risk out of sample of uh, inverse variance minus risk of out of sample of risk parity. If that is positive, that means the risk of this method is bigger than this one. That means that this one is outperforming, right? Okay. So, once you are at this stage, what you can do is, uh, and that's an analysis pipeline, you take your GAN, you, you um, generate lots of correlations. Uh, you extract features of these uh, correlation matrices. You pass them into uh, some machine learning model. Then on the risk or the target variable, so the difference of the risk out of sample, uh, you fit the model. And then you try to, if the fit is good, otherwise uh, just stop working, there is nothing to do. If, the, if you are good at predicting which method 
will outperform another one, then you try to understand in which cases one method outperforms the other one. So for example, if we compare the Marcos Lopez de Prado hierarchical respiratory versus the naive respiratory, uh, we can see that we can easily predict based on the feature of the outperformance. So this is in sample correlation of 60% uh, out of sample correlation of 40% between prediction and the actual value. So we can be quite good at predicting. And what is interesting, we can also try to understand when uh, Marcos method beats the naive respiratory. And for example, so maybe we're a bit late, so we'll do it quick. Uh, if we look at this feature, what it says, it says that the value of the variable is big when this feature is big. So it means that HRP uh, beats naive respiratory when the cofinitic correlation is high. And what actually is this feature? Uh, this feature is just uh, um, characterize how the correlation matrix is hierarchical. So here, okay, it's, it's quite intuitive. The hierarchical uh, risparity beats the risparity when the hierarchy is very present in your data. If it's not, it doesn't beat it. And other feature tells the same story, but you can see, for example, with this one that in case of crisis, uh, there is not so much hierarchy. It's like a sell-off. Everything is correlated. And in this case, the HRP is not that much better than naive respite. So you can have this sort of insights for many problems using this pipeline. And uh, that was essentially the story I wanted to tell. Now, um, let's conclude on the limitations. So I gave lots of uh, some ideas on how they can be used, but you have to be aware that this GAN is work in progress. Uh, it's not at the technology stage yet. So fitting this model is quite hard, it takes time. Uh, even if you do it well, uh, if you train a model on original data, so not even in finance, on original data, and you train in a model on the GAN generated data, there will be still a gap in performance that is closing uh, with years and effort passing, but still it's not uh, on par. So there are still artifacts, etc. An interesting research problem. Uh, researchers, other than me, have found ways to generate realistic uh, financial time series, so univariate, uh, let's say S&P 500 returns, where there is volatility clustering, there is all the stylized facts, asymmetric gain loss, etc. Uh, I have found a way to, to uh, capture the correlation structure and generate like uh, infinity or condition to the stress of the market, such correlation, but to the best of my knowledge, there is no method that can at the same time, capture the cross-sectional style facts, the correlation structure, and also the time series style facts. So that's interesting uh, research uh, problem, but I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that if enough people will uh, focus on it, it will be solved uh, within the couple, next couple of years. And that was it essentially for my presentation. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you for the fascinating presentation, uh, Okay, This is very enlightening. I think there are a couple of questions in here, so we'll probably start with those questions, and then I have a couple of questions of my own. Um, so uh, the first question, I think, uh, there's this very specific questions. Well, what's, and on slide 20, what's the significance of the random, random number generator? Um, and I think comes, uh, yes, yeah, so we can probably start. Uh, so, sorry, three. The, um, 
your voice is a bit uh, fainty. Can you speak louder? Or? Yeah. So I think uh, there were a couple of questions. Uh, one is, what's the significance of the random number generator? And I think it was yep. specific to slide number 20. Yes. So about the random gener um, number generator, so typical choice in the literature at uniform or uh, Gaussian for the GAN, it, um, it's a very much empirical question, but I don't think it makes uh, much difference. It, 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 um, what is interesting is that after fitting the, the original space, the space of random numbers, if uh, interesting properties, they can be uh, they capture some structure. So, for example, if you di displace the vector in some direction, you you may actually vary your image or your samples alongside one uh, one feature. So, for faces, you can uh, change the color of the hair or the length of the hair, etc. So, this is um, to, so it's called disentangling the latent space. Uh, there are special techniques for that. Uh, but yeah, usually it doesn't depend much. It can be due on uh, Gaussian variables and after you you uh, traverse minus three to three, if it's a standardized normal and you have pretty much all the values and, uh, and that's it. Okay. Uh, that's, that's for, for other methods like adversarial um, autoencoder, this, uh, this space has much more impor importance or uh, variational autoencoders, but uh, uh, for GANs, I don't think so. Okay, um, I think there were also a couple of questions specific to some of the slides. I think in slide 47, how are the copies made, what data augmentation technique was used, and uh, what strategies applied to the data set for any copies? I'm sorry, sorry, I didn't uh, yet. Okay. So let me start with uh, on slide 47, how are the yeah. copies made? Uh, which yep. data augmentation technique was used? Question. So in slide 47, let me go back. Yeah. So here, so, and, uh, so here you can use many. So if you were to do it like the pre-GAN epoch, the pre-GAN era, you could like uh, use bootstrap. So you sample in the rows, which are cars, and you have like, uh, uh, you, you have uh, you, you have something that is uh, looking similar that respect with GANs, what you can use is like you, you learn uh, row by row and uh, what it will learn, it will learn the correlation in between the, um, the columns. And then when you generate a new row, it will generate a row which has realistic correlation between the columns. If you want to, uh, to generate also the temporal structure, you will have to generate blocks. So you take a block of rows and you ask uh, to generate a block of five rows. So it will learn the correlation between columns and between rows. If you think there is a bit of, uh, uh, here in this specific data set, there is none because it's like a daily refresh of many cars. But um, yes, so you could use bootstrap techniques, old school uh, method of doing it, or uh, apply a, a, a tabular GAN on that. So there is the link of a paper that does that outside finance, but that, uh, that uh, presents the technique to, uh, to apply it on tabular data. And you can either do it on the data set, or if you think that you have to associate the label you want to predict, so a future return or future realized return, you add one column with this Y variable that you want to predict, and here you sample jointly the X and the Y. Awesome, awesome. 
Uh, I think there are a couple of questions. I don't know if it was contextual. Uh, can you define crowded in this context? And I think there's also another follow-up question. Can you explain what's the magnitude of the eigenvalue qualitatively? Uh, okay. So crowding here, if not so much inside, but you can uh, understand that if you are doing like a basic momentum or a basic risk premier that is defined in a French paper, pretty mm -hmm. any much any people can do that. So uh, the problem is that uh, everybody is trading the same talk at the same time. So there is market impact. Even if you, you are small, those are big. Uh, mm -hmm. So you don't capture what you are supposed to capture. Uh, so that's for the crowding part, but I'm not a crowding expert. Uh, the other question was on the magnitude of the eigenvalues. Okay, well, so basically the eigenvalues, so you can see it in the PCA, uh, it explains the percentage of variance. So for example, if you have one very large eigenvalues and the larger, the, uh, the more, yeah, one very large, what it means, it's usually associated to a market. So uh, basically it says that one factor, the first eigenvector, is explaining lots of variance. So in the typical S&P uh, case, uh, it, it means that you explain, if I typically it's like uh, 40%, so you explain with one vector 40% of the variation of the stocks. Um, and for example, if it's stressed, this eigenvalue will, will be bigger. And what is interesting also is to look at the first eigenvector. So you look at the, entries, the distribution of the entries, if they are all on the same value, it means that all the stocks are contributing the same uh, to the first to the market portfolio, let's say the first eigenvector portfolio. So, and if uh, there is some dispersion in the eigenvalue entries, that, that means that there are stocks that contribute more than others. And this is more like a, 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 it's a test, it's a, it's a feature of uh, for example, hierarchy in the global correlation. Mm -hmm. So for example, if it's a normal market or rally, there will be like cluster, cluster by industries. And this will be translated in high dispersion in the, in the by high dispersion in the first eigenvector entries. Uh, and the first eigenvalue will be maybe lower and the couple of other big eigenvalue will be higher. So that is like a typical, uh, I guess, if you read paper from Avaladena and uh, all this Tatarm thing, uh, eigenvector portfolios, you will have this interpretation or you can look at Bouchot. So he has 20, 20 years of literature on these questions, how to interpret eigenvalues, eigenvectors, and how to distinguish the one that carries information and the one uh, that represents pure noise. Okay. Um, so I think a follow-up question was, uh, what's, the, what's the core novelty in the core band paper? And I was also kind of looking at, you know, there are uh, some literature about, you know, using correlations in traditional techniques, right? other than using GANs, you know, how do you, how do you kind of look at, you know, this work compared to similar uh, you know, work, which is out there? both in the GAN space and also in the traditional modeling space. Okay, so if I um, understood the question, so to generate this uh, correlation matrices, so I'm aware of a couple of over, over, other works. Uh, mm -hmm. So first there are algorithms dating back from the 70s, I think that 
allowed one to sample uniformly correlation matrices in the space of valid correlation matrices, the elliptop. But um, then they have no structure at all. Uh, the correlation is centered of zero. It's relatively Gaussianly distributed around zero. Whereas the, the correlation, the Stokes correlation, for example, are, are positive. Tilted to, the whole distribution is positive because there is no uh, uh, free lunch diversification, for example. Um, so basically, this method typically don't capture any stylized facts uh, that we know of these empirical matrices. Um, and then there are more mathematical approach that, as far as I'm aware, manage to capture one or two, uh, typically the peron frobenius property, uh, properties, but for example, the power law uh, of the degrees of the network associated to the correlation matrix. This one is quite complex and algorithmic in na nature, and uh, no other work is able to, uh, was able, still is able, no other approach is able to, to capture this complex, uh, complex property. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's the same also for the, the time series literature. Uh, people have developed like uh, black scrolls, uh, the Easton model to capture uh, more and more um, stylized facts like the volatility clustering, but each time they target one or they try to add one and it takes 20 years and it's super hard. What is uh, nice with this model is that uh, even a not a stochastic processus expert can uh, beat them with this model to some extent uh, mm -hmm. without doing much math. So that's, that's the impressive part. And what kinds of data sets or uh, asset classes have you tried this model on? And uh, are there certain asset classes which work better with this model compared to other asset classes? Yeah, so this question. Um, so basically, of course, all the literature is done on stocks and S&P 500. Why? Because uh, it's easily available for a researcher or people that or when you want to communicate. Uh, of course, I, I can't publish or I want to uh, talk about like a very uh, sensitive, very proprietary credit default swap uh, and very expensive uh, credit default swap data. So, so yeah, the, the test bed, the benchmark is like, uh, of course, uh, S&P 500 stocks. It, de it, it depends. I, I think we can do interesting things in other asset classes and it has other properties. If it's OTC, then you have asynchronous sampling and things like that. That's where they could also shine, but it's just that uh, it's too cumbersome to, uh, to communicate or publish anything in, the, in this thing, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And also, you know, what kind of frequency of data have you tried with? Ah, so my work and the, the other work, uh, it's, it's daily data stocks, essentially. I think there are a couple of other questions on the panel. Um, one of them is, is it possible to get a GAN-generated copy of the original data? Um, for instance, it's, yep. uh, I talk about overfitting. Um, yep. and, uh, maybe, for instance, imagine you're using price uh, data, Y tweets data to create a model. Would the GAN be able to generate a data set that correlate well or reliable price and sentiment data in order to train a model along with that? Yeah. I'm thinking it's associated with overfitting, but um, yeah, you could probably talk about it. And I think it's uh, associated with uh, even worse problems. So here, if we, we talk about S&P price data, 
uh, okay, then there is the problem of overfitting. If we overfit the GAN and just memorize the data set, that mm -hmm. can happen. Uh, and definitely it's, uh, it's not great. And it, it may actually be a more a bootstrap what you, we are doing because it's kind of memorized. So in some extent, if it fails, it's, it's becoming more a, a bootstrap method. Um, but I didn't talk today about all the other application, but for example, if you were to use these techniques in like retail banking uh, to, uh, to share models or share data to the research, because you think they are anonymized, uh, you have to be very careful because uh, these neural networks, if you don't uh, enforce lots of things like clippings, uh, so they can memorize exactly points. So for example, you have credit card data or other sensitive information. You you fit again, you think you are, um, you are safe, uh, you share it and probably it's possible, it's not impossible that it spits the exact same point. So right. then there are researchers that studies this thing in the field of differential privacy, where they are trying to quantify how, how likely it is or not, and what are the good practice and the methods to ensure mathematically it won't happen. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's something to be aware. Um, it's a total uh, different part. Uh, it's a big Absolutely. field of research. Absolutely. And uh, uh, a couple of other questions. You know, are the models accounting for exogenous events? Um, uh, yes or no. Um, you could potentially inject this information in the conditional version of the GAN. Mm -hmm. So, for example, uh, but then use. You still have, you still need some past information to. Uh, so if it's exogenous information that uh, uh, used to happen uh, statistically enough times, then you have this side information. You put it, and you will have sample condition on these exogenous events. Mm -hmm. If it's a very rare events or something that you 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 uh, you think as a fundamental manager, but didn't happen statistically with these techniques. You can't do much and you would be better suited, I think, uh, using Bayesian networks or like uh, probabilistic graphical models, which mm -hmm. would be more use useful for this task. Mm -hmm. Have you looked at any uh, models which are good with uh, you know, change detection or breakpoint detection kinds of um, applications? Um, no, but in this framework, I will model it with um, with uh, the condition. So for example, you have some other model that, uh, that are for the, the breakpoint uh, detection. And this gives a categorical variable or continuous. And then you said, okay, but now uh, I think that uh, the, over the next couple of months, the market will be in a, uh, in a rally mode. Then uh, to, to try if my strategy is working in a rally mode. Uh, so it's not for always our strategies. So, uh, to, to try if it works in this uh, type of market, then I will uh, sample time series condition on that and see how it fares. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I, I'm not sure because you don't, so you, you can control a bit this model for the conditioning, uh, but otherwise, no, it's um, can learn some dynamics, but yeah, I'm not sure. Okay, okay cool. Um, so, what next of the core game? So are you working on extensions to it or tackling the multivariate problem? Yeah, uh, so how many? So uh, currently I'm supervising like a dozen of uh, students in the French engineering school. Okay. So um, they are redoing this thing to show uh, 
oh, it's easy to do it, etc. But then there are so many um, extensions I want to do. So extending uh, to a conditional version where you can condition, for example, by an expected mean return of the S&P to have the associated correlation. I want to extend also to covariance. It's not so much information to do it, but then you have to be careful in the design. Do you try to learn it jointly or you learn the correlation and the vector of variance mm -hmm. uh, that can big numerical impacts. And then on the time series aspects, I'm interested in, um, in doing it on um, out of sample behavior of pair trades. So you have pair trades, usually you can always find a nice mean reverting uh, process for optimization. Most of the time, if it's purely statistically based, they will break out of sample. So basically, you want a bit to characterize the distribution of the breaks. Mm -hmm. So you want to, uh, to, some, to, to have a, a large data set of uh, how they behave out of sample, learn a distribution, and then on your portfolio, you learn both the correlation between uh, despair, the correlation of the breaks, and how, how bad they can break to do a bit of uh, portfolio management of the pairs. So that's... Uh, Something and, on my and are you all uh, dependent or uh, relying on GANs or, or I mean these are generic problems, right? Like you know, yeah, yeah. The, so the, one of the way of accomplishing that. So usually our process is, I always start uh, very simple to uh, to make sure I have a good grasp of the problem. So bootstrap, block bootstrap, uh, that's the way uh, I start. Then I try to uh, characterize, and that's also a question in the chat. Uh, the distribution by on the data by some stylized facts, so some salient properties, and then what I try to do is uh, after I with the GANs, can I recover something similar to what I had with Bootstrap, or can I recover the properties, and then also to answer some question on the chat, uh, because okay, computer vision is visual here it's not, so you can try to recover salient properties. Uh, that's one inclusion if, of the if you want distribution equality. Then the other one, it's also, it's more it's harder. But what you can do is like extract features, do a PCA of the empirical distribution, PCA of the generated distribution, and you look uh, if the distribution match. Of course, you have lots of uh, information uh, loss because you um, you first project uh, to a feature space, so already a loss, and then a PCA. Or TSNE or whatnot, but uh, but still you can have a grasp if you have a mod collapse, you capture just a small part of the distribution, or if you uh, capture a broader part. So that that's the way that I uh, I, uh, I do to check if uh, if the result of these models are okay mm -hmm. or not. Right. And do you use any metrics? I think there's a specific question about the memorization and GANs. Do you have any metrics not just to look for you know, uh, the statistical quality of the outputs, but how different it is from the ones you have used for training to make sure that you're not replicating the same results. Uh, no, that's, so personally, that's something I uh, didn't try at all. Mm -hmm. I didn't have this problem, but that's a good question and a good concern to have. Uh, I'm sure that they are, because in the end, what you want is distance between data set or multivariate distribution. So there is a, a literature on, on that. The higher the dimension, they are there always. Uh, so yes, you can do with projection or things like that. 
Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's not something I, I uh, so far I look too much into it. But yeah, definitely that's an important point. Absolutely. Cool. Um, and then there are a couple of other questions. I think uh, we've had a lot of questions, but I'm so glad that we were able to extend this session to make time for these questions. I think the well, another question is autocorrelation is a common issue. Uh, how do these methods in general handle autocorrelation? Um, in some ways, we are factoring in not a correlation. Yes, yeah, so I'm not so sure to answer because if there is a correlation in the data, so normally the GAN, if trained well and uh, if it does uh, what is asked for, should reproduce this correlation. So, for example, uh, this volatility clustering direct facts in time series mm -hmm. of uh, stocks returns, it's typically uh, autocorrelation of the of the variance of the second moments. And uh, it's present in the data, and the GANs are uh, able to reproduce it. There is no autocorrelation of the returns uh, per se, uh, the raw returns, and the GAN doesn't produce any. So, um, so basically, what I noticed is at least the first moments um, and the basic statistics are quite easily well preserved by GANs. Mm -hmm. Then, if you go into funky nonlinear, um, and tail, uh, uh, tail uh, events, then they are not good at capturing the tails, they regularize. You can show mathematically in this, in this case that uh, if you use such network with such type of nonlinearities, uh, they typically relude, you will end up with a, uh, a Lipschitz function, which means that all moments are defined, which means that you can't have uh, outliers or tails. So by, by construction, you will not able, be able to, to generate them. Uh, so yes, yeah, so but the the first moments usually it's not a problem for gans. Uh, tails can, um, yeah, you, you may have to do some tricks or some custom architecture to capture them. Cool, cool. I think uh, there's one last question. Um, uh, you know, typically from an experimental setup, you know, you say, okay, well, original data is not working well, so maybe you know, if I use gans, but I mean, like, I think. The mention here was like, you know, original data performed better than models trained on GAN generated data. But if you're augmenting original data with the GAN generated data, will it be better than models which were generated using just the original data sets? And if so, what kinds of problems? And I can think about like, you know, rare class problems or imbalanced class problems, if you will. If you just, I mean, I've tried some experiments where if you segment out like the rare classes and just build a GAN with just the rare class and then try and augment it with original data. The, the, the models are a little more generalized mm -hmm. because you see abundance of the sampled rare yeah. class problems. But I don't know if you, in our experience, you've seen something similar or other uh, kinds of yes. issues. Yeah, so definitely. So that's typically like regularization by the data, uh, more data to regularize your model, uh, lower is variance. So this, um, so I didn't do that personally uh, much because I didn't work too much with uh, imbalanced classes. But for example, people that are doing fraud detections, uh, they are typically and unfortunately confronted with this problem, much less fraudsters than uh, nice normal people. Um, so they, there are a couple of papers that uh, say that they use these techniques to extend, the, um, to enrich the fraudster class, put a bit more diversity, more points. And then after the down, downstream task, so not necessarily GANs, a typical classifier, not necessarily end-to-end, -end, but the downstream uh, task 
is enhanced. They have better results at detect at classification because they have an enriched uh, beforehand the data with the camera. Interesting. Very interesting. And how do you how do you see uh, use cases? I know you mentioned a couple of use cases on trading. Have you seen any use cases in terms of uh, stress testing or scenario generation, especially with COVID? Uh, some of the neural networks broke because they were generally trained with uh, data which was collected in calm periods and volatile periods. Uh, I don't know if you have looked at like you know models which. Mm -hmm. broke the time series into stressful periods and how will the model perform and you know in the back test based on calm periods and how will the model how did the model perform yeah so that's um so yes and no the answer <laughs> um you you could do that and that's uh one thing i want to look at you could do that with uh, conditional generation mm -hmm. uh, well it's a bit reactive you say okay now that it's stress or it's starting to be stressed uh, let's put ourselves in stress condition. Let's look at how the strategy, the risk, everything is behaving on this uh, stress behavior. So that's that's one way you can uh, handle uh, stress test, uh, etc. It's to condition on a stress scenario and use past stress data for uh, current stress data. But once again, these GANs they are very very statistical, and if it was not in the trained data, of course they will produce new data, but same statistics. So you won't be able to do that. So for, for your use case on COVID, I, I'm, uh, I'm not so much bullish on using GANs, but more like um, uh, these Bayesian networks uh, and extensions that, for example, I, I think you have uh, Alexander Deneff in your, uh, yeah. in your star school, and I think he's uh, quite an expert on uh, these models. And to me, they make much more sense to model like unseen extreme events that you can encode into a distribution, marginal, conditional distribution. And you don't need the data. You don't need data that uh, at all. It's just like uh, if that happens or that being happened, it can be that bad. So they rely partly on uh, expert and human judgment and partly on the mechanics of probabilities. And I would be more like I think this would be more useful to to help in situations that are totally unseen. Because again, in the end, it's like a, a bootstrapping plus plus. It's like uh, using data in the past to. Um, generate similar scenarios in the future, but it's, it's totally unseen, then uh, nothing you can do about it, right? Interesting. And how, how much of synthetic data generation has actually made it to practice? I mean, I hear a lot about it, at least in, uh, well, if I look at it from a general neural networks, scientific community perspective, manufacturing, healthcare, and some of these other areas have taken on using synthetic data generation uh, much more, um, uh, much more willingly compared to that of finance. I mean, in finance, you traditionally have the simulation methods, but how much of GANs and synthetic data generation have been uh, adopted in the financial services world? Or you still think it's more of a research problem which ones are fascinated about, but the use cases aren't there yet. Hmm. Yeah, to be honest, I don't know because uh, this industry is quite secretive by definition. Um, I noticed that a couple of years ago at ICML, some um, hedge fund sponsors were trying to speak to people that had uh, GAN expertise. Mm -hmm. so after what they do with that, I don't know. Huh? Uh, I, I'm not sure that uh, it's as used. So 
So uh, J JP is quite vocal in uh, their use of GAN. So they have a, a team that also explore uh, application within their different uh, uh, retail and uh, market banking. I'm not sure it's very developed so far, but uh, maybe in the most sophisticated place or not. Uh, but what I'm sure it's quite laggy with respect to, uh, as you said, healthcare, where um, they use these technologies heavily already to uh, to anonymize and share data uh, that are quite sensitive to uh, to uh, researchers, to research labs, to uh, to help uh, make the progress without compromising people. So. Um, I think data vendors and the, the retail banking industry should uh, should in, should get some uh, help or inspiration from this uh, this healthcare industry. But uh, as far as I'm aware, I don't know, uh, it's not very developed. So much still at the, the research uh, stage. Oh, awesome! I think this was this was great. Uh, there was I think well, we can probably have like I think one last question. Uh, using RNNs instead of generators and GANs. Uh, do you have a specific opinion on it? So I didn't get using RBM or using RNN. It was, I, it says RNNs. RNN, um, okay. Uh, so recurrent networks, uh, yes, it has been done. Yeah. Um, In fact, I the thing is that already a RNN or LSTM alone, it's quite hard to train. So it's a bit harder. And they're so very you, fragile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you put it in a GAN, uh, it's, it can quickly become a nightmare uh, because GAN has also uh, lots of uh, technical difficulties and uh, instabilities. So combining both, it's um, it's quite hard. Uh, but it has been done in a few papers. Um, in the financial papers, it's mostly uh, the vanilla multi-layer perceptron architecture that is used. And after I see also in the chat a few uh, questions about uh, RBMs and the market generator by Christian Schwartz. Yeah. Uh, yes, that's, uh, that's another approach. Um, I'm not sure that is uh, differentially private, by the way, but uh, yes, that's another approach. After what they do is, um, yeah, it's, no, it's it, it's a competitive approach. After you know, it's it's a paper. They have this approach. There are other papers, different approach. But so far, the, the the field is such that it's not mature enough. That there is no common uh, data set, common uh, benchmark test beds, etc. So uh, people are throwing ideas. They are testing. Um, it works somewhat, but there is no strong validation. There is no reproduction of the results so far. So. Not, uh, there is no 10, uh, 10 team of researchers that have gone through the thing, replicate results. So, so it's, it's, it's hard to say anything. Like I presented to, today uh, GANs, but I could have talked about adversarial autoencoders, autoencoders. Um, there are interesting ideas, maybe competitive, but uh, so far it's too early to say if there is a for finance one that is better than the other. But for, for computer vision, for example, it's clear that this deep uh, architecture like GANs uh, outperform RBMs or other encoders, right? Absolutely. And that, that leads to my final question. I think we have a couple minutes, uh, which is you brought up validation. In physical problems and uh, computer vision problems, validation is much more easier because you have ground truth. Um, in financial services, you know, what should you be thinking about validation, comparing different generators, if you will, or even looking at you know, metrics for 
saying that this generator was better than this other mm-hmm. generator because you will have one realized scenario in the future. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you'll be generating so many more, and you know you could potentially get one or two or by fluke a couple of scenarios right. But yeah. what does it actually mean in terms of validating without having that you know futuristic perspective? But you're only having the you know the truth of the past. Yes. Um... I think in the literature and even for the other domain, it's a totally unsolved uh, questions and quite hard. So in our specific context, I talked about like stylized facts or realistic features. So there are two ways to show uh, how realistic you are. So each stylized facts, you know, you could like uh, do a error, a loss metric, a error metric. Then you end up with n n metrics of errors. Then you you have another way to quantify how much uh, you reproduce of the whole distribution or if you are just a part. So it's another uh, score error metric. And then the big problem is like, how do you merge this uh, N different and uh, not, not same scale scores? So that's a, that's a very hard problem to fuse this information to have a one final score to say this one is better than the other. That would be very helpful. Uh, there is no uh, common uh, a commonly accepted way of... Uh, of benchmarking, so so far, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's lacking. It's uh, it's something that would be very useful, but it's also something that's very hard to define. Absolutely, absolutely. With that, uh, I think we are very close to one o'clock. So thank you so much again, Vertier, uh, and uh, I really appreciate you taking your midnight to make time for us, and that's very much appreciated. Um, I would like to, you know, conclude with a couple of uh, quick announcements regarding next week and uh, the next upcoming weeks. Uh, we are going to be having many sessions on various themes, including, uh, you know, fintech, which is going to be the focus of uh, topic next week. And after that, we are also going to have a couple of sessions on another session on synthetic data generation uh, by Stephen um, uh, Jansen. And then uh, Dan LeBou is going to be talking about uh, some explainability and other machine learning concepts. And all the slides and the videos will be available on QDOT Academy. And uh, the time has still not passed. We are offering multiple courses uh, in the context of uh, machine learning, model risk management, and also data science and uh, in the fall school. So please check out QFall. Uh, so, which was uh, this particular site? Give me one second. Let's get there for a second. Uh, so, if you go to qfaultschool.splashthat.com, you should be able to see all the programs we have for you in the park. So, till next time, I hope you have a wonderful rest of the week, and I will see you in another week. Thank you so much again, Gautier, and I wish you a very good Thanks, night. Yeah. Thank, Thank you very much. Bye bye. Thank you for joining us for today's session of the Q Podcast Show. You can subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Visit us at quantuniversity.com for upcoming events, courses, and to continue the discussion.